0: Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him in my place. He sent me the double A ball.
1: Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your host Ben and Dave.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. As always, I am your host, Ben. And usually, we have a great episode lined up for you each and every week. And we're not stopping that this week. And baseball season is every day here on the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Before we get going, I just want to remind you to go out and get yourself some Big League Chew bubblegum because Big League Chew is the official sponsor of the Diamonds and Roses podcast and is the official bubblegum of it too. With that said, we're going to jump right on in and we're headed up north up to the Seattle area this week. We're going to be going with a Pacific International League team called the Highline Bears. Now the Highline Bears are similar to that in the West Coast League that's down here in the Portland metro area and, and it's throughout the state of Washington and even in um, Vancouver, BC, and Kelowna. Well, this week uh, we have the Highline Bears, which like I just said is part of the PIL. They also are a summer collegiate team, but they're a little bit different. But joining me this week to talk about the Highline Bears is none other than Justin Mosier, the general manager of the Highline Bears. How are you doing, Justin?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, having me. I've been, you know, we've been following you guys for, you know, some time now and tracking the Highline Bears and I uh, was like, we got to get these guys on because I want to, I want to know more about them. Awesome. So, uh. We're going to we're going to start off with um the Highline Bears. When were they were what what year were they founded?
1: So, we started in the fall of 2014. Our first season was 2015. Mm-hmm. And we've been growing from there, uh just trying to figure out exactly what we were doing. We kind of uh, bit off a lot more than we we could chew at first and yep. um didn't really realize what we were starting. So, we're going into our 6th season now.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Now let's talk about uh, let's talk about the name. How how did the Highline Bears come up with Bears as a name?
1: So you know, looking back, I uh, I'm not sure we actually put in the right thought to it. Uh, mm-hmm. We were very focused on the area, so we play in an area called White Center in Seattle, Washington. But we really wanted to. It's just uh, southwest of this of downtown mm-hmm. Seattle. And we really wanted to encompass um, a greater area than just White Center because White Center has a small footprint. And we decided to go with Highline because that's the greater area that we play in that encompasses a little bit of West Seattle, uh, White Center, Burien, and then down into what's called Des Moines, um, just south of the airport. And then Bears. We, we really didn't have a have a great grasp uh, we've discussed many times about changing the names and maybe the name and coming up with something maybe a little bit more creative which we might do in the future
0: yeah because researching this uh, for this particular episode of the podcast I you know I saw on the the history of the of the stadium which we'll we'll get into in a little bit but I I saw that there were clearly a lot of other Semi, you know, baseball teams that played there, they may not have been a professional, but they were, you know, other teams that played at that stadium um, for many years and so on. So I was just I was just curious if it was looped into like a, a team from the past and that's how you got the name.
1: We, we didn't have uh, have much of a theory. So I think something in the news was going on. Uh, we had had a bear cross uh, Puget Sound here. And, and come up uh, in the summer before we had started and I think that got in the discussion but nothing really connecting the, uh, the teams of the past. A lot of times in the past when there were teams that played here they were connected to local businesses or local business aunt, um, owners sponsored those teams and got them going.
0: So talk to us a little bit about the ownership of the Highline Bears, who they are and any sort of you know why they wanted to get into uh, you know, having this team
1: So we started with a, I've been a baseball fan all my life, Uh, played baseball, loved baseball growing up, and we found the Pacific International League, which at the time, eh, we liked the idea of having players that no longer had eligibility and uh for college and then also having a mix of college players playing so we liked that at the beginning and then we decided after the first year that we wanted to go more towards the west coast league model of having all summer collegiate um players and players with current eligibility uh, but the people that i started the team with uh had a this area had a rich history of baseball and on friday and saturday nights in our stadium in the 40s 50s and 60s it would just be packed and overflowing and uh, the stadium burned down in 1977 and after they rebuilt it in 79 and opened it in 80 it was just never the same so we came together and they talked about all their good times and we wanted to bring something like that back to our community
0: yeah that's a good segue because let's talk about the stadium um so like you just said it was originally built in like 1940 looked like it was correct all all wooden structure um it was known as the White Center Stadium, located within the White Center Park, um, as part of the Work Progress Administration project, is what I what I found. In that, it would hold up to about two thousand fans, but like you mentioned, they would be a, a big overflow, according to what I heard um, from the right. historical aspect of it
1: yeah definitely i mean at first there wasn't a fence in the outfield um so they would tie it rope it off and then people (laughs) would be sitting on the other side of the fence um but from what i hear it was just overflowing all the time Mm -hmm. um and it was just packed they would have different types of you know semi-pro teams little leagues would play here you know some college teams would be here they'd have big tournaments uh Men's pro fast pitch would come through here. Uh, Pay and Pack was a was a big sponsor of a team that was here, and they would play. Um, King and his court uh, came there a lot of times. They were a group of uh, three fast pitch um, players, and um, the pitcher would do different things. It was almost like the Globe Trotters, and they would play baseball teams, and he would fast pitch from behind his back with a blindfold on. And so the stadium would be packed. It was just the epicenter of our community. And then um, one night uh, in May of 1977, the stadium uh, was burned down. They believe it was arson. I'm not sure if they ever caught the guy. And in fact, our president, Russ Pritchard, uh, was in the fire department, woke up that night and was uh, was part of putting out the fire at the stadium. He was the fire marshal um, and determined it was arson. And, you know, emotional for him, he played his first little league game there. You know, he took his first date there to go, g- go see a men's fast pitch. Team. You know, <laughs> he, he grew up in that stadium and uh, it, it was a big part of the community. And um, luckily uh, a community activist named Mel Olson uh, got County to get some more funding to rebuild the stadium. Cause they almost didn't build it. Uh, it's made out of cement now. And that's the stadium we play in today. The capacity's, uh about 900 less than it was before. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful park and we're real fortunate to have it.
0: Yeah. It, the interesting thing that, uh, I, as I was looking at the historical aspect of the stadium is, is that it, it reminds me a lot of the old Vaughn street stadium in Portland that yes. would burn that burned many times. And as Dave and I said, the sting said in a saying, everything burned because <laughs> it was like every park that was like, wooden burned at some point. So it was like really interesting.
1: Yeah, it really did. They were really cool stadiums, and you know that just that sound of people's feet in a wood stadium is something you can't can't really recreate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they didn't they didn't last very long, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. So now you you guys play at what's now Mel Olson Stadium. Um, it was it's inside Steve Cox Memorial Park, and if I'm correct, Steve Cox was a um, was a uh, police officer in the area. And so did a lot for the community, and accordingly, they when they did some additional um, re, uh, re, revampering, when they did some um, adjustments to the park, and when they did some updating, they they since went and renamed it after the park itself after him. Um, but that so it's really neat, and and it looks like the the bears have been doing a lot to try to you know do some of their own uh, bringing it to the 21st century kind of things with the park?
1: Definitely. Yeah, I mean, um, in 2008, uh, Seattle Prep High School is a main user for this stadium. Uh, They came in along with a a men's league, the Puget Sound Senior um, League, uses our stadium quite a bit as well. And in 2008, they revamped uh, the stadium and turned the infield to turf. Uh, we came in, in 2015 and we saw what they did and, you know, now it's been, it's been 10 years. So we're really working with King County parks. It's a King County, uh, facility and we work with them on trying to revamp things. So like last season, uh, we redid the front gate and made that wrought iron. It was chain link. Uh, the turf is replaced, uh, after the initial one that was put in for the infield. And then after our season this year, we're going to turf the entire outfield just because of how much rain we get. That'll really help Seattle prep high school in the spring. And then we're going to do some things with the fences and, um, add a little bit more concourse area if we can, and just continually doing different things that we can improve it both, uh, for our players. And then also the fans that come to our game and really increase the fan experience the best we can.
0: Yeah. Now let's jump back into the, the team itself. You you'd mentioned that unlike any uh, uh, of the other collegiate summer wood bat leagues, that the Bears brought back a lot of the former players who no longer have uh, collegiate eligibility to, to play. But then you you wanted to transition back to having more uh, collegiate level players. Why Why the transition? So
1: my goal is I want to become a West Coast League team. Um, which is is a uh, grandiose goal, um, and they they are the premier summer collegiate league on the West Coast, and and by far one of the top five in the country, no doubt. And so our goal is to get there, and to do that, I think we have to start by making sure that we're bringing in college players. I love the Pacific International League; it's done great things for us. It's highly competitive. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves for its. For being as competitive as it is. And, uh, but the unfortunate thing is, college coaches look down upon letting players that no longer have eligibility or that are no longer playing minor league baseball or um, independent baseball play in the league with college players and taking at bats or innings away from their, their guys. So I think as a recruiting tool, that helps us a little bit. It's always hard to recruit within our league because of that stigma. And uh, it not getting the credit of being as competitive. So it may hurt us a little bit right now on the baseball side of things. You know, we had a rough year a couple of years ago. Uh, Last year, we were just a couple of games under 500. But really hoping that we're giving the players that we recruit and the college guys we have the best experience possible. They are uh, getting as many at bats and innings on, on the mound as possible and really Playing against a high level of competition and um, making sure that we're not taking any of those opportunities away from them from guys who just, um, you know, are still trying to to hold on. And I have a lot of appreciation for that. I don't think the hunger to ever play at a high level will ever go away. And I've played in some of these men's leagues and I know how it feels um, to play in a league where guys just don't take it seriously. While it can be fun when you're really competitive and love baseball and playing at a high level. Um, so I love the Pacific International League for that, but our goals are just a little bit different. And so uh, we're trying to change things on the field as well as off the field so that we can scale to the West Coast League hopefully one day.
0: Yeah. Um, now, with the West Coast League and then when you're talking about that transition back into trying to get more players on your team that are still have that collegiate eligibility, how how hard, how hard is it for you, or maybe not, to be continue to build and grow relationships with collegiate um, coaches and their systems to help recruit players to come play for you?
1: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's difficult. It definitely is. Um, Luckily I have, you know, the past few years, our manager, uh, Josh Evans took care of a lot of that. Um, And then our, Um, director of baseball operations. Steven Finch does a lot of the baseball side of things. I handle the things that, you know, most minor league baseball GMs do, which don't have anything to do with baseball or players, Um, which is weird for me because I love baseball and that's why I thought I was getting into this. Uh, But yeah, building the relationships with colleges, especially higher end colleges is very difficult and uh, finding out what's important to them and really making sure that we're doing the right things and making sure we're providing evidence that we provided the right things is something that we're going to work on being better at. Uh, We have a new head coach. His name's Ben Hardley. Um, He actually uh, coached at a high school down a private high school down in Portland area um, for a couple of years. He's from Arizona. He's, he's coached there and now he's the uh, pitching coach at Centralia community college. And so we're really excited about him. He's done a good job of starting to build some relationships with some higher level schools and um, really try and, to be a good home for college players at any level,
0: yeah. Like uh, a lot of the GMs and some of the you know the other leagues, when they bring in a coach, they more often than not try to look for one who could bring a team like yours together in such a quick time frame. Because really, I mean, you're you're only playing from May to July. That's a really really short season, and then. You know, if you're trying to bring in college level players, you know you're getting them from all across the country, and then just trying to bring them together in that close knit amount of time, it it takes a lot. So I'm assuming that when you're looking at a coach, and especially the most recent one, your coach now, that you're looking at, well, can this, can he bring this group together quickly?
1: Definitely, I think it's definitely that. Um, and you know, unfortunately, we're just we're um, a newer team in the eyes of a lot of schools. We're unknown. Um, our league having that stigma hurts us and ma- creates a challenge as well. Uh, so having a coach that not only has some connections, but two is a great communicator uh, and is able to help build our brand and get out there and talk to guys and then really back up uh, what he's going to do. And I think we have that in Ben and. Uh, we're going to move forward and really create those relationships. The other things we're doing is trying to make our, our schedule as competitive as possible. Uh, you know, So this year we'll play uh, 12 West Coast League games, uh, non-league games for them uh, and for us. And then last year we, we had 13. So I've been doing my best to try to build those relationships with the West Coast League GMs and owners and trying to expand that schedule. And now we're seeing the trend of other teams in our league trying to add some West Coast League games the last few years as well.
0: Yeah, now let's jump into your you as a GM. Take me through a game day for you. What it's like when you wake up in the morning to when you'll leave the stadium. What's a game day like for you?
1: So, you know, we're a real small organization and uh, you know, we have uh I'm probably the only full-time employee. Um my business partners um help where they can in the off season and then they're uh they're very much uh, part-time, full-time in the summer. We have a bunch of interns in the summer as well and then some seasonal employees. Uh, but I'm wearing a lot of hats. You know, uh, We're very grassroots, uh, bootstrap um, business owners where we don't have any outside investors or anybody that owns the team that has a lot of deep pockets. So you know, we're kind of uh, going a different model than a lot of West Coast League teams do where they get an investor early on and then they're able to grow from nothing. We're kind of uh, doing it backwards? Can we create a fan base and then bring an investor on later and uh, hopefully make that jump to the West Coast League? So to answer your question a day for me is um, depending if uh, my concession stand manager has been able to go out and get supplies for the concession stand or if she went somewhere and we didn't have everything we needed or we ran out the night before, I might be stopping by one of our vendors to get some extra stuff for that. I may be um, putting out a few fires, whether it's, you know, something with players. And then I get to the stadium, make sure everything's set up and clean. Working with King County Parks a lot, they, they have been great in creating a partnership with us because we're unlike any user in the stadium. Uh, we're bringing fans in there. And then anything promotional-wise, we're working on that. I'm going over game day scripts with our PA guy and um, the person putting on things, uh, promotional team, making sure that we're getting all the giveaways or a theme night. You know, last year we did a Christmas in July where all the players had ugly sweater jerseys. And so they wore that throughout the game. So, uh, you know, the night before I was heat pressing numbers onto ugly sweaters um, and making sure that the sleeves were cut off. So they weren't burning up as uh, so I think it was like an 80 or 85 degree day. And then making sure that the stadium's themed up and decorated and everything is ready to go. I set up the stadium if I have to. And uh, making sure everybody's going to be there on time and then uh, making sure our coaching staff has what they need to do to win the baseball game um, or be as competitive as possible in the game. And then uh, we go into a you know, a, a staff meeting once everybody gets there and um, talk about all the promotions we're going to do in between innings, making sure we're greeting fans the right way. And any problems that they had come up the night before that we need to fix immediately or just pen. And then um, it's lights, camera, action once the gates open. And uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, the easiest part is once the game starts, typically. Um, it's everything leading up to it that's a lot of work.
0: What separates the Bears from any other team in the PIL?
1: We, we have a huge fan base. Um, we really push on being community centered, so that and drawing fans. Um, no other teams do promotions. No other teams, uh, you know, charge a, a gate. Um, you know, they don't do advertisements the way that uh, we do. You know, we're really trying to create a, a fun, family environment, and keeping things affordable. Uh, we have a, a huge social media presence uh, for the size of team that we are, and we're continuing to grow that way. Our attendance has grown every single year. Um, just our players are out in the community all the time. Uh, and we're focused on putting on a show. You know, uh, the teams in our league are very competitive. And you know what, they, they probably beat us, that every, beat us there every year uh, between the lines. Um, and, you know, we're, we're competitive and trying to get better at that side. But uh, our main focus is the show. Uh, You know, are our players playing in in front of the most fans that we can get in the stands? Are we continuing to provide you know great activation for our partners? Are we running a great atmosphere? You know, we're putting on a show uh, for three hours that's affordable, the most entertaining and fun thing that our fans are going to do throughout the summer that's exciting every single time, no matter what the score is. Uh, at the end of the game, you know, I read in a book from a minor league GM and he said at the end of the game, a week from now, if our fans remember the score, we didn't do our job. And I agree with that completely. I want them to remember the experience, the way that they felt when they came to our ballpark. And, you know, the score is second thought. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to win every single game. I want to rip the competition's face off. I'm very competitive, but, you know, anybody can have a baseball game and be competitive, but who can do everything and draw the fans and create a memorable experience.
0: What's been your most memorable experience thus far with the bears?
1: Mm. You know, the, the biggest thing is just seeing and we posted something on social media the other day is just, you know, we really pitch to our players when we recruit and when they come in for player orientation, we talk to them about community, and that's our biggest thing, and that you're going to be playing in front of fans. You might not be used to it, and you need to take a, take the time and have a positive impact on a fan. Every chance you can in every single game and in every interaction you have, you need to make an impact that's memorable. And then, uh, you know, uh, we do community service things, and you can see their faces. They almost look like it's a chore. And that, yeah. You know, OK, yeah, we do this at junior college baseball. Our coach makes us do this stuff so we can get donations and different things there. Don't get me wrong. There is a marketing side to it. But um, when those kids come onto the field to run the bases on Saturday nights after our game and they're high five in players and then afterwards, we have a junior college kid who's never given his autograph out before. And a little kid thinks he's a superstar and it's his favorite player and wants to give an autograph. The look on the kid's kid's face is priceless. But a 19-year-old college player who's giving out his first autograph—the faces are exactly the same in that photo. And so those are the experiences I remember. Um, you know, we have a super fan. His name's Dion. Uh, he's a guy that struggled with homelessness uh, in our in our community, but uh, he he's been coming to our games since the day we started. Uh, when he couldn't afford to come to the games the first season, he would set up a lawn chair outside a center field. And he would um, hackle the opposing team and then cheer on our team. And you could hear him, no matter the size of the crowd, from center field, outside of the stadium, in the stands. And the fans would get into it. And then we started having players' parents or fans pay for his entry into the ballpark. And then um, three years ago, we decided that he gets lifetime access because he is our super fan. And, you know, um, we make sure he stays under control the best we can. But, you know, uh, we have a root beer batter the night, and he gets the crowd starting cheering root beer, um, you know, trying to heckle the opposing player to get him to strike out so that they can get dollar root beer floats and uh, different things. So Dion's definitely something that we always think about when we talk about good memories.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually gonna ask you if you if you guys had a super fake because I know most teams they do, and I wanted to hear that story. So I'm so happy you brought that up. So
1: yeah, D- so D- yeah, Dion's great. You know, he has his struggles as we all do, and you know, sometimes Dion wants to come into the park and uh, you know he's got a big can of beer in his back pocket. And I'm, I'm like, Dion, I'm gonna have to hold on to this for you. You you can. You can grab it when you leave, but you can't have this in the ballpark. And, you know, sometimes uh, the first year um, his language uh, was sometimes a problem and he'd cross the line, but now he knows. And every once in a while he gets real into it and the umpire makes a bad call and um, he slips up and swears. And then I just look at him and he's covering his mouth with both hands, you know, trying to apologize. And the fans love it. Uh, They love him and uh, it's a great experience for our players. And, yeah, we love having him.
0: So what do you what do you have lined up for um, this, this upcoming year as far as promotion-wise?
1: So we're still finishing our promotional calendar. Uh, we'll have some different giveaways. We're definitely bringing back Christmas in July. That was a huge event. We had a Santa Claus. So how can we make that bigger and more fun? We're really focusing on different ways where we can surprise and delight our fans every single game rather than big promotions. I don't think giveaways move the needle really, you know, it's the experience we have at the ballpark. So what types of different theme nights can we do different promotions? What can we do every single night? That's a little bit crazier and toes of the line. So we're working on different in-between inning promotions and um, different ways that we can uh, get fans doing different things. Uh, I have something I can't disclose quite yet because it's not a hundred percent finalized, but it's something our fans have been asking for since day one that we're working with King County parks uh, to add to our ballpark, which will be great. Um, and, uh, our fans will love that and we're hoping that'll help with attendance. Um, uh, and then we're looking at, uh, since we're going to have Christmas in July, we're looking at maybe, uh, Thanksgiving in June and having a Thanksgiving theme night and do different things that way. We're going to bring a lot of different things. We really pride ourselves on great concessions. You know, I hate going to a ballpark and you're paying 25 bucks a person for a ticket and then you got to go and get something to drink your sodas, you know, it's not mixed right or it's flat or you know, it doesn't taste great. It's watered down. And then you got to buy some food there. And all these ballparks have elaborate food options, but they're, they're made for mass quantity people, and, and they're really not that great. So you're paying 10 bucks or 15 bucks for a, a sausage, and it just, it, it tastes like crap. And that's just not something we do. So our concession manager, Joanne, she does an amazing job. We have what's called a, a pulled pork sundae that's layered with mashed potatoes and pulled pork and, uh, barbecue sauce. We're looking at maybe bringing like Belgium waffles in. Um, and you know, we have loaded nachos, we have loaded baked potatoes. Um, we do special things. We did a frozen hot chocolate and different themed things for our nights that match up in our concession stand. So really we don't have our promotions totally done yet. So I don't have a lot I can share, but I will tell you, we're always focused on how can we increase the, positive atmosphere we have and the fan experience and improve that every single game.
0: What are you averaging like fan base? Like, I mean, are you, is it like normal? Like usually on the weekend you're, you're going to see your more, more fans come out or do you kind of see generally speaking, it's the same across all lines?
1: Yeah. So, you know, opening night and the last game of the year is typically always our biggest, you know, we were, um, we were over 800 on our opening night last year. And, um, then, you know, Friday, Saturday nights, we're, we're around two two fifty uh, typically, um, based on weather and based on other events that are going on around here. And then during the weeks, we definitely, we definitely struggle quite a bit and our goal is to continue to increase that. Uh, my biggest problem I run into is we have not done a great job having zero marketing dollars has hurt us. And, um, obviously we're in a big major city. Uh, which is, you know, when I've talked to West Coast League GMs, that's their biggest concern with us ever being to jump is, you know, they're in small rural areas and good markets that um, don't have a major league baseball team. And then my argument to them for that is that, you know, I'm not I'm not marketing the highest level of baseball around. We're looking for, you know, I'm I'm marketing and competing against uh, movie theaters and skating rinks and, you know, music festivals in the summer. Uh, What's the funnest thing to do? You do not have to be a baseball fan to have a great time at our ballpark. And I want to really put a huge emphasis on that. So the biggest problem we run into is people don't know we exist. And that's what we got to change this year.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on so that way we could could do our uh, assistant, do our due diligence, help you out in any way possible, getting you on so that way the people out there can get to know you know, you and the Highline Bears more than what they they do now because you know, you know. Like I've seen these other teams, the more we can reach out, the more we can help, the better. So
1: definitely, um, we appreciate that. Uh,
0: so, uh, you know, how many how many student athletes? Like, you know, from do you know off the top of your head, like how many number of schools that you have different athletes coming from?
1: Uh, I haven't looked at our recent numbers uh because our manager just signed a few got a few more guys this week. Last year we had 26 different schools that sent us players. So we'll be in between. Uh last I checked three weeks ago, we were at 18 schools. Um, and you know, our roster is still filling out and we'll continue to fill out into the spring and probably into the summer as injuries happen, or you know, we have a number of guys who get called up to the West Coast League year after year. Um either during our season or definitely after our season, we end just as the West coast league playoffs are starting. So we'll have a lot of guys who get called up there, which we love. We love our guys to have that great experience. Um, I hate it from being in a competitive standpoint, but you know, uh, it's what, what's about being best for for our players. That's the most important thing. You know, if they can get called up, part of our contracts, um, you know, are, you know, sign with us, we get it. But if the West coast league or the Cape Cod league, uh, gives you a call like we you you are definitely going you are not allowed to be here um we we want you to have the best opportunity
0: possible do you see so yours does the team have multiple player and multiple players or players here and there that are that you see coming back each and every year as long as they <laughs> yes. can have the eligibility for
1: yes definitely uh i mean we'll have two or three year players sometimes um you know that are at jc's and are trying to get promoted and you know, they come in in the summer and they don't have a place to get promoted. And, you know, the, we've had tons of college coaches, uh, NAIA coaches, D2, D3 coaches, even some D1 coaches come to our ballpark and check out some of our players. And they get promoted uh, and sign in the summer and get to move on and uh, continue playing. And then they want to come back home. And we get a lot of local guys, obviously, host families or something we're really expanding into so that we can um, broaden our reach of where we can recruit players from, but yeah, we get, we get some guys who have, who have spent some time with us. They really love what we're doing. We love having them. And it's been great. I had uh, our top hitter last year and one of the top in our league, uh, Keelan Martin, he, he asked if he could come back this year, but he's a senior. And I said, uh, unfortunately, as much as I want to break our rule, I'm not going to be able to. So he's uh, uh, hopefully going to come back and play in the PIL uh, for an opposing team, which I hate, but I mean, that, that dude's going to be, um, gonna be in our Hall of Fame one day because he, he tore it up.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting and I, I know that you want to, you definitely want to keep within that that one particular rule. Um, but I, I do gotta I do gotta say it, it seems to me that it, it's gonna be a lo- a little bit more challenging for the Bears as a as an organization uh, to, for, for player wise because of you know you start in May. And you go to July. So it seems like a bit more challenging because of, you know, not just because of the different systems that each of the collegiate players are involved, whether it be quarterly or or semester wise, those clearly end at different times. And then, you know, what if they, you know, if they make the, you know, the playoffs where their respective, uh, play teams. So then it's like, then you got it. That's, there's that delay. So, um, uh, so is this, this this is going to be challenging for you as an organization.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's something we've run into. And, you know, we've learned uh, from a lot of GMs fr- and coaches from the West Coast League. You know, they every summer collegiate league and team deals with that. You know, you're going to have uh, a full roster and you're going to go into, you know, uh, I think we, we're going to open on May 30th this year. It's typically like for very last weekend in May or first weekend in June when we open. And then uh, we'll play into the... Uh, first weekend in August. And, you know, you'll think you have a full roster and then you get three guys who get shut down by their school uh, cause they had too many innings. And then you'll get a, a player who got hurt um, either doing something baseball related or his team wasn't in the playoffs and he decided to have a little fun. And he did something that he probably shouldn't have been doing and hurt himself, not uh, doing something that wasn't baseball related. And so now you've lost five or six guys and then you've got a team that made the playoffs and uh, they're going into the middle of June. So, yeah, our our roster is always fluctuating, and you have to prepare for that. So you almost have to over-recruit a little bit and make sure that you have a manager that's going to be able to manage that roster. Uh, You know, the, the West Coast League... They use a ton of 10 day guys so like if you play the West Coast League in the first three weeks in June, you're not seeing the guys that are going to be there by the end of the summer in playoffs typically you're seeing uh, you know a major uh, a large part of that team is going to be 10 day local guys high school seniors graduating, a bunch of junior college guys that may or may not stick with the team it's you know a 10 day tryout almost for them if they can fill a few open spots they might have uh, so it's definitely something where you know uh, managers have to and GMs have to team up and make sure they're communicating well and keeping an eye on that roster and then scheduling, making sure you're not uh, packing your schedule too heavy the first two weeks in June.
0: Excellent. Now um, I know a lot of, a lot of the other, the, the West coast league teams, cause we know we're talking about it, um, have their, their, their games broadcast live on like Facebook or YouTube. Is that something that the bears currently do or is that something you're looking at doing for the future?
1: We do an internet broadcast, uh, internet radio, uh, and we do play-by-play. We have interns, um, you know, one of our interns from Arizona State's actually with the Rocky Mountain Vibes short-A season. Uh, It was his first year doing a a full season of baseball with us. Uh, He used that experience as a platform and then went and got a job in professional baseball. So we do the internet radio. I'm asked all the time about live video. Um, I want to do it the right way. Um, So if I look at the West Coast League, Um, in my humble opinion, um, I think there's only one team that streams video live at a highly professional level. And that's the Victoria Harbor cats, you know, they have a production crew and a team and it's a large investment. Jim makes up there and, you know, I'm sure he loses money on that, but, uh, that's how I think video should be done. I don't want to put a GoPro or a camera up. I want to get people in my ballpark and following that way, and I think we could um, provide a better service by just doing radio and trying to intrigue people to come to all, our ball, our ballpark uh, over and over again, rather than just having some sort of mobile setup where you have to turn it based on the play, or it's through the screen, or it's through a fence. I just really want it to be a highly professional product that we put on the field and everything we do off the field.
0: Justin, I really appreciate your honesty with that, that, that question, and I can understand as a consumer of that type of product. And and, then I know like I have watched some of the Harbor cat games on, you know, YouTube and you know, yeah, they do put it. And I know that some of the other teams are looking at and have continued to figure out ways to continue to improve on that. Um, But with that said, um, I think this is going to bring our episode to an end, um, but I really appreciate all the information that you've provided with us, letting getting us to know the 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 the, the team itself better and what this organization's looking to do where they want they see themselves in the future and, and the goal that they have for themselves. So I appreciate appreciate that. Thank you so much for that.
1: Yeah thanks for having us Ben. Um
0: so with that said I want to actually give you the last couple minutes yourself to kind of let us know, you know Hey, here's when we start. Um, Here's where you can find us. You know, anything that you want to want to give out that uh, you think would be valuable to our listeners.
1: Perfect. Uh, Yeah, we're the Highline Bears. We're out of White Center, Washington, which is in uh, the West Seattle Highline area. Um, You know, tickets are affordable. Tickets are eight dollars for adults and youth nine to 12 and seniors are five bucks and kids eight and under are always free uh we run from may 30th this year uh through august 2nd and we're at home almost every single friday saturday we're going to have 28 home games and we're going to do a few other events on top of that uh we have some exciting things we're going to do and we're just going to make things a little bit more fun this year than we've done before and we're going to just up the experience for both our players and our fans and we'd love to have everybody come out and if you can't make it out We'd love to uh, have your support on our internet radio station, which you can find through our website. Our website's Highline, H-I-G-H-L-I-N-E, and then bears, B-E-A-R-S.com. Uh, we're launching a new uh, merchandise. I know your fans love merchandise, Ben, so we're launching a new merchandise store. Awesome. I'll I love sure hats. You get a hat. Yes. We're coming out with a, a couple new design hats here in, in the next month, so we'll have that, uh, some more merch and um doing things that way we're actually going to host the uh the brand new portland gherkins baseball team on the first and second of august uh for our last home stand they are coming up and we're excited to have them up here and uh looking forward to if you want to follow us when we play the west coast league we're going to be all over this summer playing them as well
0: excellent um well i appreciate your time justin thank you again so much and uh you know, go Bears. We look forward to uh, seeing what, what, what goes on this uh, upcoming season for the 2020 season. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Um, and uh, I appreciate wherever you're at listening to it. And uh, we'll be here again next week. So keep it locked. And uh, you take care. Have a great day wherever you're at. Peace out. What's going on, podcast family? Ben here for Devo Bat Company. Rooted in Eastern Washington, Devo uses nothing but the highest quality maple, ash, birch on the market. You know what, it makes a difference. At Devo Bats, they take pride in the craftsmanship that goes into each and every wooden bat produced. Your success at the plate is their ultimate priority. They want you to know when you think of bats, Think of Devo Bats. Devo Bats, your Northwest supplier of affordable quality wooden bats. Hey Podcast fam, it's Ben here from my friends over at Baseballism. Founded by four former college baseball players and teammates, their love and passion for the game did not stop after leaving the playing field. An amazing organization founded on the beliefs of class, tradition, and the history of baseball. I personally shop at Baseballism because of the quality of their products and the the top-of-the-line customer service I get each and every time. Take it from me, an avid hat lover, Baseballism is not your run-of-the-mill apparel company. Check them out at any of their fine locations or visit them online at Baseballism.com. Baseballism, built for the love of the game.